Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. There was this man, he owned a clock shop. And he noticed that a couple, several times per week, this man would stop by and look in the window of his clock shop and then walk away. He kept doing it. He would stop by and he'd look in the window and he'd walk away. Well, the clock shop owner started wondering, what's this guy doing? So finally one day he sees this guy look into his clock shop and leaves. He runs out the door, he catches him, and he says, why do you keep looking in my clock shop all the time, several times a week, but you never come in and buy anything? And the man said, well, I'm the guy that sets the time on the clock down the road, the main city clock that rings the chimes. And he goes, and I come in and I set my clock according to what's going on in your clock shop. The clock shop owner said, but I set my clocks according to when you ring the chime." Okay, somebody is wrong somewhere. And so, obviously, somebody has to be made the standard. And once you make someone the standard, everybody else should follow suit. In this case, I would say the the guy that ran the clock tower should be the standard. He chimes and everybody sets to him, right? Uh, I remember when I was in probably elementary school, we went to NASA. We went to the Mission Control Center where they did the moon landings and all that. And, you know, there were no, again, no cell phones and no internet and all that. Y'all remember. And you were wearing little wind-up watches or something that you had to set yourself. And that was your time. And you remember back in the day when people used to say, oh, your clock's too fast or your clock's too slow. While we were at NASA, the, the guide said, for all of you who want to have the exact perfect time, that clock on the big display is set to the atomic clock. It is perfect to the second. Now, all of us kids got our watches and we all started setting them, right? We all set exactly. And from that day out, anytime anybody ever said, your clock's too fast, I said, no, it's not. I set it to the standard. And you can't argue with me. (laughs) Today, I still do it old school. You know, my iPad and everything does it. But this old watch up here, it doesn't set to internet. You have to set it yourself. I do it old school. And as a radio operator, I tune up to 10 megahertz to a station called WWV that broadcasts the time. And I set my watch to that because that's the way I always used to do it. So there's standards out there and everybody else has to follow the standard. And so I wanted to show you that, that what's going to happen in 2 Samuel 24, the Lord God is going to establish David as the standard. Israel needed to learn to follow the standard of the king. And that's the name of the sermon today is called the standard of the king. I want to show you something that was Israel's problem in times past. In Judges 25 verse 21, it said, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so Israel needed a standard set for them for a long time. The Lord God was going to do that through the king. That's who they were to follow as the king. 
He was about to make King David their standard. So let's get on with it here. 2 Samuel 24 and 1 says, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go, number Israel and Judah. Okay, this message today is going to have a lot of got to stay on target moments here, because I'm going to go to Chronicles, I'm going to go to here and there, because there's more information than just this in 2 Samuel 24 and 1. So we're going to hop around a little bit, but I've got to do it for us to get the full picture of what's happening. So, so stick with me here. But the Lord was angry against Israel. Now, a lot of people would say, why? What was he angry about? Well, if it doesn't tell us, then you don't need to know. That's not the point. The point is he's mad. We already know that man sins, that man messes up. We already know that by now. It's been going on since Adam. So we don't really need to know why. The point here is not what Israel did, but how David was going to react to this problem. What is David going to do about it? But so now that Israel has a king, they're not allowed to do what's right in their own eyes anymore because God was about to establish David as their standard, the national standard for everyone to follow. And David's response was to take a census, which is to have everyone counted. Now, I know that that's what it looks like when you read it here, that the Lord moved David, but we're going to read on and I'll show you something here in just a minute. So David's wanting to to have everyone counted. 2 Samuel 24 and 2. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of my Lord, the king, see it. But why does my Lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. Okay, apparently they had a big fight about this, whether they should go count them or not. And David won. But Joab and David, as you know, they did not have the best relationship with each other, did they? They had a lot of uh, frictional times in the past on many occasions. As a matter of fact, Joab is the guy that even helped David facilitate the murder of Uriah the Hittite. So now when Joab questioned David's command of the census, it seems like it really caused a stir. Look again at verse 1 and take notice that God never ordered David to count anyone. He never gave that order. God himself did not order a census. Now, how can I know this for sure? Because when I read verse one, just verse one, it looks clear to me that like God told him to do it. That is not the case. First Chronicles 21 parallels this story. And I'm going to show you both verses at the same time. First Chronicles 21 and one says, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. I just want to be clear because we have more information on who told who to do what. God did not say count them. It says he moved David against Israel. Satan moved David to count them. Now let's, now that we got that under uh, control, like I said, you got to stick with me. You're going to miss something. But when you see both passages together, Satan moved David to number them. But 2 Samuel says that God only moved David against Israel. God never commanded David to take a census. He never said, go count them. 
David was provoked by Satan to number Israel and Judah. But so this brings me to my next question. If we're really going to debate who did what, I, I, I really need to know why taking a census is wrong. Why is counting the people? Why is that such a bad thing to do? The reason for that is because David, he wanted to see if his military force was capable of dealing with Israel's sin, whatever the sin was. He wanted to see if his military was big enough to resolve the problem rather than having faith that God was big enough to resolve the problem. That's what made the census wrong. That's why Satan moved David, go count them. You don't need God. We can do this. You see how bad this is? This is why ordering a census was wrong. Okay, God, step aside. I can deal with this. Have you ever done that? David should have inquired first, Lord, how do you want to handle this? You remember all the times we read past, it says they inquired of the Lord. They inquired of the Lord. They asked the Lord. David didn't do that. So now look at Joab's response to David in verse 3. Joab said, God could add to the military, to the people, a hundred times more if that were needed. So why do we need to count everybody? And then Joab said, may the eyes of my Lord, the king, see it. What do you want to count everybody for? Why do you want to count the military? If God wanted to, he could make the military go womp. And we have a hundred times. Why do you need to count? Why can't you see this? He said, counting everybody's a waste of time. But apparently David pushed back. As it said, David prevailed. And so you see, David prevailed not only against Joab, but he also prevailed against the captains. This caused an argument. David was, had this mindset. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And that's going to be the way it is. There's a word for this. It's called iniquity. David says, I'm going to do it my way. He ordered the census anyway. Second Samuel 24 and 5. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Oror on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and towards Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatum Hodshi. They came to Danjan and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to South Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Okay, in verse 9, do you see who was actually counted? Who did they count? The valiant men. This is a count of military. Is my forces big enough? Joab gave the count of the valiant men, 800,000 Israelite, 500,000 from Judah. Why were Israelites separate from Judah? Because remember of the revolution that started with Sheba, they split. Okay, so that's why they're numbered separately. So there you go. Valiant men who drew the sword, they were fighters. Israel sinned. Okay, Joab, go count the fighters. Let's see if we got enough military might to deal with this. God I'll deal with it. Now, chances are that these valiant men that were counted, they were part of the national sin themselves. They were probably part of what God was mad at. So you're counting people who are part of the problem. But David was provoked by Satan to try to fix things himself. Be careful about when you try to fix things yourself your way. That's where iniquity comes in. 
Always inquire of the Lord. 2 Samuel 24 and 10. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now David sees where he messed up. He realized he did wrong, but how did he suddenly come to realize this? What suddenly kicked on that made David recognize? Now, wait, Joab couldn't convince him. The captains couldn't convince him. He fought with all of them. He fought tooth and nail and won. What happened that made David finally get it? Aside just from the fact that his heart condemned him. If you look at 1 Chronicles 21, verse 7, you can just jot it as a side note. It says that God was displeased with David's census, and so he struck Israel. And now David saw Israel struck, and now his heart condemned him that he messed up. David admitted that he had sinned, but when he then asked the Lord to take away his iniquity. Now, what iniquity is, iniquity is not just a mistake sin, but it's a willful drive to keep on sinning. Iniquity always progressively gets worse and worse and worse until it finally hurts somebody. That's what iniquity does. So you've got different words in the Bible for these kinds of sin. Sin is, we, we know the general term sin, but the Bible talks about trespasses, transgressions, and iniquity. And I think it's important for us to understand the differences in these. A trespass is exactly what it sounds like. It's when you trespass, you go past something you're not supposed to walk into. Like when you have a no trespassing sign or in Texas, you paint your, your fence post purple. Don't pass here. You go past it, you're not supposed to be in there. That is a trespass. Let me put it in the terms of a, say, a stop sign. A trespass is when somebody goes past a stop sign and says, oops, I shouldn't have done that. I, I, or I didn't see it. There's a bush blocking it. They trespass, but whoops. Oh, I'll try to do better next time. A transgression is when somebody runs a stop sign and says, oh, well, who cares? Very different from a trespass. Iniquity is when somebody gets up that day with a predetermined intention on running every stop sign in town all day because they hate the law. That's what iniquity is. Iniquity is I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all day and I don't care. If you don't like it, I'm fooey on you. That's inequity. So you go from, oops, didn't mean to do it, to, well, I did it, oh, well, whatever, to, I'm going to do it all day, and I don't care what you think. Trespass, transgression, inequity. Now, David said, I have sinned and take away my iniquity. That's why David fought against Joab. That's why David fought against the captains. It was a drive. It was iniquity. I'm doing it my way, and I don't care what y'all think. Get out of my way. I don't need you, God. I'll deal with this. I'm going to order account. You see the problem with iniquity? So he realized that he had not been asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want to do this? Lord, what is the best course of action for this national sin? He had been doing everything his own way. And friends, when you do things your way, that is a rejection of God's authority. And chances are, a lot of the times when you're in iniquity, you don't know you're doing it. That's the danger of it. David did not inquire of the Lord. He wouldn't listen to Joab's counsel or the captain's. David's attitude was, move over, Joab, take a step back, God, I'm going to do this my way. And you're going to do what I tell you to do. But now David said, O Lord, take away. 
the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. You know, guys, I bet this shocked David upon realizing this. I bet it shocked him about as much as when Nathan told him, you are the man, when he was trying to get David to realize that he had committed murder of Uriah the Hittite. That was iniquity, and it took a prophet to shake him. The guy I'm talking about that did this murder is you. And here he is again, already. This wasn't just, oops, I ran a stop sign. David just realized he had a sin drive that was pushing him to cause damage. David heard Israel sinned, and while making his own moves to punish them for it, he discovered his own sin. You ever point at somebody and go, oh, that terrible guy, those wicked people, oh, I can't stand them. And then God goes, hey, 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 wait a minute. Look who's talking. (laughs) You got your own mess. I also think that David realized here too, Israel was never going to repent and get right with God unless their king did it first. Friends, the core essence of Christian leadership, I, I, I went through four years of Christian leadership. That's where my biblical degrees are based in. That's the major. Christian leadership. I can save you four years and a ton of tuition money. If you want to know what Christian leadership is, I'll tell you real quick. (laughs) The core essence of Christian leadership is that no one is going to follow you unless they see you doing it first. People are only going to follow what they see you do. That's Christian leadership. Jesus didn't just come down here and bark orders. He came and did it and therefore taught the disciples. He was the guy, look, I'm doing it. You do what I do. That's Christian leadership. If we want to disciple people, you have to be doing it or they're never going to follow you. So Israel had sinned, but God was not going to go straight to Israel for it like David was preparing to do. God first went after King David to first establish Israel's king as the standard to follow. That's a much better way of dealing with the nation is deal with the king first. And so I believe that this entire situation that we read about here, all of this that has taken place so far in chapter 24 had been orchestrated by God, not just to correct Israel, but to dig out first, to dig out the deep-rooted iniquity out of David. That's like, and pulling it out deep-rooted. It's deep in there. It's hard to get out. Iniquity is solid. And a lot of people are going to go to hell over iniquity. Even though they say they follow Jesus, he says, depart from me, you who practice what? Iniquity. We got to know our terms. The hard-boiled, God, I'm not listening to you. I do it my way. Attitude is iniquity. And he had to dig that iniquity out of David or Israel was never going to turn. Never. So if David would truly get right with God, then the rest of Israel would follow the standard that was set for them. Like the guys with the clocks. Had to set the standard right first. But all of this had to begin with confession. It took confession. Confession's hard to do. We don't like to admit what we did wrong, but confession is where things get good. David asked the Lord, he said, I've sinned, I've done foolishly, take the iniquity, dig it out of me, Lord. And now that David could see it, the Lord now had to execute judgment upon it. 2 Samuel 24 and 11. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. 
Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land, or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. Guys, this is kind of like when your parents said, go out to the bush and pick your own switch. You know what I'm saying? Go out and pick that twig and bring it back to me. And that's the twig I'm going to hit you with. Okay. (laughs) He told him, go pick your switch. Here's your choices. And which way do you want to be punished? I'll let you choose which way you want to do. Now you got to consider David's not young anymore. Remember, he got old, and he got faint, and he was passing out, and they said, David, you can't come to battle anymore. So that whole idea of your enemies chasing you, I would have thought originally, David was pretty good at that. He was pretty good at getting away. But he's old now. Can't do that anymore. (laughs) That one's out. The Lord had to purge the wickedness out of Israel, but as Israel's king, David had to learn how to rule Israel as a standard by choosing the manner in which the judgment would be taken out. Who wants to be king? I don't. This is the heavy part of the crown. Second Samuel 24 and 14. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the temple, it is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Oh, am I about to dump the gospel on you hard now. Here it comes. This is, this is the big stuff. So David was old. He couldn't outrun his enemies like he used to because he's not young anymore. He did not want the seven years of famine either. So he opted for the shorter three days of plague. And a lot of it was because he wanted to be put under the Lord's mercy. He, he, David thought it was a better way to go to, be, to put yourself in the, into the mercy of the Lord. So judgment was executed as it says in verse 15. It says from Dan to Beersheba. Dan to Beersheba. I've been to Dan, fascinating place. But the term, I discovered that this phrase, from Dan to Beersheba, is in the Bible nine separate times. And what from Dan to Beersheba means, it means everybody, all the way. That would be like saying from New York to LA, you know, here in our modern modern time, from Dan to Beersheba. One of the nine times that we read is when David ordered the count. He said, go throw out all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people. So Dan to Beersheba means everywhere, the whole nation, all of Israel. But look at verse 16. And when I, when I run this by you about what is said in verse 16, don't you dare miss this <laughs> or you're going to lose the whole point. When the destroying angel arrived where? To Jerusalem. The Lord said, stop and restrain your hand. That's where the destroying angel was commanded to stop. And our parallel story in 1 Chronicles 24 and 27, it says, so the Lord commanded the angel and he returned his sword to its sheath.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.